I remember being a young bishop and having a member of my ward tell me they don't believe as they used to and they have begun to question their faith. The hardest part of these scenarios was that it felt like they were looking to me for answers when in reality they were coming to me looking for support and hope. These leadership scenarios can quickly remind you how unprepared you might be to minister to individuals or loved ones in your life who've begun to question their faith. This is why Leading Saints created the Questioning Saints Library, where we interviewed over 20 experts with the intent to better understand how we can help individuals who are starting to question their faith. For all the details on how you can access the Questioning Saints Library, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash questioning. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash questioning. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And one way we do that is through this podcast. So if you're new to Leading Saints, I welcome you. You're in the right place. I hope you benefit from the interviews and the content that you find on the, this uh, podcast feed. We also encourage you to go to leadingsaints.org, where you'll find even more resources related to being a leader, a Latter-day Saint leader, thousands of articles, more podcast episodes. You'll find an opportunity to sign up for a weekly newsletter, social media channels, all the stuff, and you'll love it. And we'd love to uh, see if we're missing anything there. If you find that there's not a specific topic or calling or that leadership dynamic that's covered there on the website, send us an email at leadingsaints.org slash contact, and we'd love to see how we can better address that. Now, in this episode is sort of a fun one and a little out of the ordinary. I actually recorded this interview back on, it was around February 19th of 2020, and sort of been sitting on it, obviously, with the pandemic and things that took us in different directions of the podcast, but definitely wanted to make sure we got around to this episode. I interview Lane Knighting and Dave Fielding. Dave is actually a stake president out, out in Indiana, and Lane Knighting puts on uh, these remarkable leadership bike treks. And why I think this is so important is I'm I'm a big proponent of leadership outside of the four walls of, of a room, right? It's so easy to sort of think, well, I lead when I'm sitting in a sacrament meeting or an elders quorum or relief society, right? But to find opportunities to get individuals out of that. Now, obviously, during this time of the pandemic in, in 2020, we're not going to those rooms right now. But I still think, especially as we're phasing back, there's a lot of opportunities to do more outdoorsy retreat type of, uh, of events that can great that can create great unity within a quorum or an organization. And Lane has a great idea and a way of doing this. Now, you may not do it in this way where <laughs> Lane literally takes a group of people all over the world to India, to Spain, and they do these bike treks. But there's principles in this experience that I think you could apply in a simple overnight retreat uh, with an elders quorum or maybe a Super Saturday, as they used to call it with the Relief Society uh, sisters, right? Like something you could do, organize that is engaging, that's connected to an activity that maybe gets people out of their comfort zone. That you'll find a lot of leadership lessons and most importantly, the reflection of it all. And so I uh, got the opportunity to interview both of, of them about a recent, well, it's maybe not so recent anymore, but a bike trek that they did in Spain. Lane led it. Uh, he's also teaches leadership at uh, Arizona State University, so he's got a great background on teaching leadership and has applied it to the, 
to a, a retreat or a, a trek like uh, this bike trek. And so during this bike trek to Spain, Dave talks about his personal development, how it impacted him and how it impacted his, his leadership as a stake president. And again, just some phenomenal principles that we touch on, both leadership principles and principles of, of how to organize something like this that I would encourage you to consider and uh, maybe put something in place uh, for your organization, especially during these times when maybe our only option to get together as a small organization is to do so outside or in the mountains or on a hike or whatever it is. So here is my interview with Lane Knighting and Dave Fielding. Today, I have the opportunity to connect in various corners of this beautiful country with Lane Knighting down in Arizona and David Fielding in Indiana. So, uh, Lane, how are you? I'm doing stellar. How are awesome. you? Awesome. And uh, great. David, how are you? Doing fantastic, Kirk. Good. Thanks. Awesome. Now, this interview was uh, first commenced, I guess, in an email that Lane, you sent me about an experience that you have with various, uh, I don't know if you call them retreats or tours or. But maybe just set us up, Lane, as far as uh, why you reached out to me and, and these, these biking trips you do and why you and David were in Spain together. Sure. Well, there's somebody in my ward who is a diehard aficionado of your podcast. And she said, <laughs> Lane, you have got to connect with these guys. You have just got to. So, you know, when, when the forces of heaven converge, you try to discern them and follow them. and so. I reached out and we do something that's kind of off the beaten path. I think you'd say, Dave, right? I think so. <laughs> we did the, uh, we decided to merge the uh, principles of leadership with cycling in extraordinary places across the world. And mainly because it ends up being a microcosm of life. You experience all the ups and downs, the storms, the sunshine. Everything that there is in life is packed into 11 days that you experience on a bike. And it ends up creating the conditions of change. It doesn't, you know, transform anybody. I used to think it did. I used to think that oh, people miraculously changed through it. But really what happens is they strip away all the barriers that have crowded out who they really are and allows hmm. them to emerge with with more of the person that they, they, uh, that they truly are and truly aspire to be. Yeah. So, and you have a little bit of background in, as far as teaching leadership. It's not like you woke up one day and, and said, I'm going to teach leadership on a bike, but you've got some experience. Maybe tell us about that. Sure. A couple of different experiences. 11 years ago, I, well, I'm a professor. I teach at Arizona State University and I teach leadership and communication. But 11 years ago, my life totally transformed when I busted through a lot of barriers and went coast to coast on a bicycle with my family. Wow, that's great. It was unbelievable. You felt the heartbeat of a country and you saw the goodness of humanity when we're fed such a diet of fear. And that just radically shredded my old thoughts about people and about the world and opened up all kinds of horizons that I never believed I could have pursued. Hmm. Awesome. And so, Dave, let's uh, talk about your background. And uh, I know you're currently serving as a stake president, and, and so that'll feed into our discussion today. But how did you end up on this on this bike trip? Well, 
My brother, who uh, was a friend of Lane's, has gone on a, a few bike treks with him around the world, New Zealand and Ireland. And um, I just said, you know, these are great experiences and I really want to be part of it. And so when he uh, said that they were going to go to Spain, he and his youngest daughter, I was like, you know, I think this could be something I w- really want to do. And so I, uh, you know, I thought about it and then I talked to Lane. And um, one of the things that Lane t- um, talks about in the leadership sense is vision versus goals. And um, he was talking about how if you have a vision, it kind of pulls you as opposed to goals that push you. And I was, it just kind of really spoke to me. And I was like, you know, this is something I really think could be good for me. But then you're like, you know, that's, that's a big commitment. I mean, going to clear halfway across the world and going on a bike trek into some country with the language I don't even know. And, you know, you get all these fears and all these like, that's just for like the storybooks or the movies where some crazy guy goes across some foreign country on a bicycle, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, didn't really take it seriously, but I just kind of kept getting drawn to it. And um, I eventually, you know, I made it a matter of prayer because I'm like, you know, is this, a, is this a good use of my time? And I felt very strongly that I needed to go. And so that's when I uh, kind of made the commitment that I was going to go. So, that's great. So Lane, just set us up because and then I want to dive into some of these principles. But uh, so someone wants to go and, and you still do these like every six months or so, you just find a new lo- location and go. And then w- once you pick on a location and people show up, like how is it all structured and, and, and what do you do? Yeah, great, great question, Kurt. Well, we just did India, just got back from... 12-day trek through India with, there were six of us. We were doing one in the Baltics this summer, and I'm doing one especially for youth that goes through church history in August. Oh, wow. And uh, so specifically 16 to 18-year-old, I'm flying a kid from Fiji. His dad's the bishop there. They took me in when I was there alone on a, on a trek, just cycling through. And so I promised the kid, I said, look, I'm going to bring you over. And we're going to give you an unforgettable experience through places that you have never believed that you'd be able to go to. Wow. So that's cool. So it's, it's picking up. It was about once a year and then it went to twice a year and now it's about three or four times a year. So do you see, I mean, I know you're, you're not on here to necessarily promote a business by any means, just mainly talk about the experience, but is it a side business or is it just something you do and you, Whoever wants to go, if they pay their way, they'll go? Or, or how does it work? Yeah, it's, it's a side business that I'm actually working to migrate away from ASU and do this full time. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. And I'm sure at the end, we'll make sure you, uh, we, you share where to send, send people if they want to know more information. But the reason I want to highlight on this is just that you've... It's one thing to talk about leadership. It's a whole other thing to create an experience around it. And I've recently been involved with as the audience knows, as far as uh, the Warrior Heart Group, that uh, they do these uh, retreats every every six months or so, and there's something about of like just getting physically out of your comfort zone, and it, and even in a, a circumstance where you're doing something quite challenging, like like you're talking about, it does something to our mentality as far as absorbing these principles, and it really does begin to change us because we're doing that, and so. As people listen, we're not, you know, if you want to go on Lane's bike trip, great, you know, we'll definitely get you the info. But at the same time, like if you're a preschool advisor, if you're a youth leader, like what are you doing to get the youth out or or to get your elders quorum out or your Relief Society in a different circumstance so that they can, it sort of, um, you know, kind of shocks your system a little bit so that you're more open to some deeper principles. Is, is that how you'd explain it, Lane? 
I love what you're saying, man. You are just speaking my language. <laughs> uh, a little bit, a little bit of background, I think, would help here, Kurt. My okay. my doctoral program was in performance studies, and hmm. there we learned that we are missing out on one of the most incredible sites of learning, which is the body. You know, most of us, our education is in four walls. We're s- stuck in a seat. We're taking notes. And so we think that we're learning here in our brain, but the best site of learning is the body. And when we learn through the body, then it sticks. It sticks in the mind. It sticks in the skin. It sticks in the muscle memory. And we're able to draw on that going forward. So I, I, I love what you're doing there. And I think that elders, quorums, bishops, Relief Society presidents, the more they can get people engaged in physical stuff, whatever that is, you know, whether it's service or whether you're out playing a baseball game, whatever it is, if you're tapping into the body, you're tapping into a deeper sense of learning that transcends the here and now. Yeah. And because typically you hear about like, we we do pretty well with, you know, doing what do they call it? FSYs now. And, you know, getting as far as the youth, like this camp outs, we've got, you know, girls camp and these things, but then we go into adulthood, that sort of goes away. And I hear like in the context of elders quorum, an elders quorum presidency may think, okay, we want to really re-energize the quorum and, and create some unity. And so why don't we do an activity on a Wednesday night where everybody comes over and we hang out like, and those are great. But when you take the quorum up into the mountains or you go do something that's a little bit challenging and, and, that is where real unity is born as, as you get out and really have a retreat rather than just a cute activity on a weekday. Mm-hmm. Amen. Cool. All right. Well, let's jump into this with, you have, you have seven principles that you go through on these trips that you focus on and help people think through. And let's start with the first one. You talk about vision and you're speaking to my heart when you start with vision, because I think this is one of the biggest principles that leaders miss or just it's easy to skip and just sort of get to work and move papers around and you know unlock the doors and and act like you're a leader but establishing vision is harder than <laughs> than it than it looks right so so and as we go through these Dave I want you to jump in and sort of give your experience and perspective of how this really applied to you when you heard these principles so Lane start us off here sure i think the scriptures say it well that where there is no vision the people perish It's got to begin with a vision. Now, let me just give a little background here. Before I went on the coast-to-coast trek, I thought that that was the epitome. If somebody could bike across America, they would be unstoppable. There's nothing they couldn't do. But I had everything running against me. Married, seven kids, job that didn't pay well, student debt, mortgage, bills piling up. How do you take three months off and go bike across America? Yeah. I I bet your wife loved that idea, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, that was a- That's that's another podcast lane. (laughs) Yeah, it truly is. I had a story in my head that said, you know, it's one of those things that you just shelve and you put it in that nebulous realm of someday, which as we know is code word for- Never. Yep. So, um, you know, th- that could have put the kibosh on it right there, but, but there was, th- and it's, it's a story for another day, but there were compelling reasons that said, if I didn't do it by the time I was 40, 
I just knew deep inside I would never do it. And I found, and I'm going to be a little vulnerable here, that I, love it. I, uh, I was not in a really healthy spiritual space. I would spend time on the internet going into dark places, and I found out that there was, uh, there, there was somebody who biked across America, and that lit a fire in me. And so instead of going into dark places, I started looking at what did it take? What happened as a result of going across America? What did you do? And as I did, I, it was like I imagined it. I started imagining the route. I imagined the people I would see. And a vision far beyond anything I could have conjured on my own started to cement itself in my heart and head. And it actually came to fruition in a much tougher and much more magnificent way than I could have fathomed. So that experience, I wanted to make sure that everybody else had. That instead of just, instead of living according to the stories that everybody else says you need to follow, everyone could, could come up with their own dream. You know, that's another word for vision. Yeah. Um, or in the scriptures, they use a different word, desire. What is mm. it you truly desire? Not, what's, not what your parents desire, not what your neighbor desires, not what your leader desires. What do you desire? And it all begins there. Because uh, as the angel told Nephi, you know, he, he asked him two questions. He first of all came to him and he said, Nephi, what desirest thou? In other words, out of everything that there is in the world that you could want, do you know what you want? And Nephi, without skipping a beat, said, yeah, you, you know what I desire. I want to see what dad saw. And the angel, the angel asked him the second question, do you believe? He said, yeah, of course I believe. You know I believe. And the angel clapped his hands, rejoiced, and said, yeah, let's go. Took him up to a high mountain and unveiled the vision to his mind that if we can get, if every person on earth were able to get to those points where we knew what it is we truly desired in our deepest heart of hearts and believed in it, the whole world would transform. Yeah. So that's 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 where it begins with vision, right? Yeah. So tell uh, Dave, let's go over to your experience. Like, how did uh, Lane guide you through this experience as far as establishing vision? And and I mean, what was your experience like when you heard these principles and, and what went through your mind? Because I, in, in a way, I kind of experienced exactly what Lane is talking about is, uh, you know, I said what I just when I decided to go on this trek, I eventually prayed about it and said, you know, is this something I should spend my time on? And I felt very strongly. Yes, I should. So then, and, and the reason why it's so hard is because you've got a time commitment, you've got a financial commitment, you've got a focus commitment that you've got to like really throw yourself. If I'm going to go on this trek, I'm going to like do it. I'm going to go all in and I'm going to be there and just give it everything I got. So of course I did that. I went and got a bike because I hadn't biked since I was, you know, in my twenties. So I went and yeah. got me a, a new bike and I got me some, you know, some of the, the, the bags and you know, got all kind of equipment and started doing the, the training. And I actually, there's, there's a four month training to get ready for this trek. And um, I got a, kind of a late start and Lane's like, well, we're almost full, but yeah, we'll go and let you on. And, and he asked me these questions. What kind of a traveler are you? Are you one of those guys that has to like get from A to B? And if you don't get there at, you know, on the minute, then you're like frustrated. And I'm like, heck no, we like go down the road. And if there's a road that we see, hey, to see where that road goes, you know? And he, <laughs> as soon as I said that, he's like, Okay, you're in. You're coming on our team. 
That's exactly yeah. what we do on our trek. <laughs> and so it was interesting. So I started training and we eventually took a trip out to Utah because our daughter was getting married. And I, I kept training out there. And I, I, my um, in-laws lived down in Gunnison Valley in uh, Centerfield. And I walked outside and I'm like, which, which road should I go up to do my training on today? And I looked up this mountain and I saw this, hit, this road going up this mountain. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take that road. It was on the 4th of July. And so I, I head out in the morning and I go up this road and it turns out to be a gravel road. And I start heading up this gravel road. And I'm thinking, this is my first time. I mean, I've, I've been training now for like a week and a half. So I'm still a newbie, right? So I, I take off on this, on this gravel road. I go up and I'm trying to get some elevation because in Spain, there's a lot of mountains and we had to climb. How much did we end, of, end up climbing the lane? It was at 35,000 feet. Yeah, it was definitely over 30 for sure. Yeah. So it was a lot of elevation. So I had to go up and I got a thousand feet of elevation that day. And I turned around and was coming back down that hill. And I, I came around a corner and there was about 30 feet of loose gravel where there was a washout. And as soon as I saw it, I knew I was in trouble. And I hit that gravel and I knew that if I put it, you know, signed on my brakes that I would wipe out. And so I just figured I'd try to navigate it the best I could. I, I tried to navigate it and it was kind of like I was swimming. And it kind of like swam me over to the side of the road and it just kind of like dumped me off. And so I, 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 I crashed. So I wrecked my bike. I landed on my head. Miracle number one, my feet came out of my clips and my bike pedals. And so I didn't have any problems with my ankles, but I landed on my head and I was just laying there. My wind got knocked out of me. And of course, when that happens, you think you're going to die because you can't breathe. And I eventually got my breath back and I'm like, I got to sit myself upright. I could tell I had a bone sticking out in my shoulder. So I knew that my shoulder was in bad shape. I couldn't move my legs, but I got myself to where I was sitting up on the side of the road. It took me about 15 minutes to kind of like discompose myself and just kind of get out of the pain, get my breath back and then start to think clearly. I sent my wife a text, but I had no cell service. And I just, at that point, I'm like, I started to pray. I'm like, okay, I got to like get down off this mountain because I hope somebody comes along or I hope somebody comes and finds me. And so I said a little prayer and it wasn't but five minutes later, I had a, a guy come down in a Jeep that found me and he helped me up, took me down to the hospital. Long story short, I broke my collarbone and I broke my pelvis um, in two different places. Oh, wow. And so here I was one week into this trek and I'd already bought my plane tickets because once I bought my plane tickets, I was locked in, right? Because once yeah. you buy your plane tickets, there's no refunds, there's no nothing. So you're, you're in this all the way. And so I'm like, well, okay. I ended up having surgery on my shoulder. The doctor said it's going to it's gonna have to be eight weeks before you can even get back on your bike again. So I'm sitting out all of July, sitting out all of August. So now we're like three months into our four-month training program, right? We are a month away from the trek. And I'm just like, I'm kind of in a depressed state. I'm not, not really, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bummed out really. And I'm just like, well... I wonder, I think I'm just going to go ahead and cancel my flight and just call it a, call it a loss, right? So this is another miracle that happened. I went in and I, I tried to cancel my flight. Lane's heard this story. I went and tried to cancel my flight and the computer aired out, you know, said it, it, it wouldn't work. So I like, tried it again. <laughs> it wouldn't work. And then I closed all my windows out, closed down my computer, rebooted up, restarted up my, my windows, my browser, went back in, tried to cancel out of my flight. And again, it wouldn't cancel. And I'm like, and all of a sudden I had this little voice in my head that said, I didn't say you could cancel that trek. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, so 
And then I'm like, it, so I kind of like took a, a, a double take. And so I went in and said my prayers and felt very strongly that I needed to continue to go on this trek. I'm like, I got four weeks to, to do training on this thing. And so I slept on it. I got up the next morning. I told my wife, I said, you're not going to believe what happened to me last night. I had this experience and this is what I feel like I should probably go on this trek. And she kind of started laughing. She goes, I never thought that you were not going to go on the trek. And I'm like, oh, so now it's two against one, right? The Lord <laughs> and my wife. And so I'm like, she goes, and I'm like, but I only got four weeks. She goes, well, I guess you better start training. And she goes, but you're not going to get back out on the road until eight weeks after your surgery, which was a week away. So I spent some time on my, on the, you know, on a stationary bike. And so now I had three weeks before, tr- before the trek. And then that's when I got out on the road and I started biking on the road. And, you know, the first day I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I got five miles in and then I got 10 and I got 15 and I got to 20 and I started biking about 20, 25 miles. And then I had to start getting elevation. So out in here in Indiana, there's a lot of hills. So I kept going up and down the hills. I'd go up, come back down, go back up, come back down, go back up, come back down, just so I could get a lot of elevation in. And eventually I got to the point where I was biking about 30, 35 miles a day. I went on a 50 miler, did a camp out, came back, did another 50 miler. And I was just like, just busting it. Cause I was like, I'm not going to let Lane and the, and the whole team down. And so by the time I got out to Spain, I was like raring to go. I was just like on fire because I'm just like, you know what? The Lord told me twice that I'm supposed to go on this trek. So there's gotta be something I'm going to learn. And so it was kind of interesting because when Lane talks about vision and that's what, you know, when you, what was it that you desire? And then that's when the Lord took Nephi up to the mountains. To me, Spain was my mountain. That was the, uh, the the great water that I had to cross, right, in my in my boat. Or it was the it was the plains that I had to cross as the pioneers did. And so for me, this was a big event in my life that I was going to go see what it was that the Lord needed me to do. So that was kind of like how vision played into my into my trick. Wow, I, I love that. And I'm just pulling up a scripture that it it your story took me to is. Uh, says in Numbers 1-6, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision. And I share that whenever I talk about vision, I share that a lot because a lot of people think, well, yeah, that's typically how we think of God showing up is it's a, it's a vision. But oftentimes when we set a vision, we find God in that vision. And so I love your your story because you set this vision of, okay, I'm going to Spain. I'm buying my plane ticket. And when you went to challenge that vision, God was there and said, no this is where you're going to find me is in the vision. And so go to your mountain, Spain, and uh, let's do this, right? So I, what a great example of, of uh, establishing a vision and how sometimes it's, it wrestles with you a little bit, right? Yeah, it was awesome. It really was cool. Yeah. Lane, what, what else as far as uh, you talk about vision and goals? Is that maybe the next step we, we, we jump into here? Because a lot of people get, they, a lot of even, you know, wards or organizations, they'll, they'll set some goals and feel like, yeah, we got a vision. It's a uh, it's the, you know, it's our goals, but what, what are the difference there? So there's a key difference and goals aren't innately bad. Goals definitely have a use and a function, but I think it's dangerous when we replace vision with goals because goals end up taking preeminence when, no, it's the vision. And, you know, the mind is a, is a beautiful and crazy quirky thing. The subconscious will work on our behalf when we give it something that uses the imagination. Kids know this. Kids come by it innately. And somehow, as we grow older, we, we lose that power. We forget 
to exercise the power of the imagination. But that's where vision lies. It lies in seeing what's invisible. A goal is more about tackling something you can see. And a vision, no, that takes us into the realm of hidden and invisible and what's possible or what's impossible, what seems impossible. The, uh, the second piece to that, you know, and actually let me, let me share this. Okay. We watch a video that is produced by, I think it's NPR that asks the question, why can't people walk in a straight line? And they, and it's really interesting. It's really fascinating to watch because they've done a number of studies where they put people out like in an empty Kansas field or out in a foggy day. And they're told, go that direction just as straight as you can, but they're blindfolded. Hmm. Now, what do you imagine happens, Kurt? Just what, what do you think uh, happens? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they, they stray to one side or the other, right? And it, it, even though it feels like they're going straight, maybe uh, one leg's longer than the other. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly what they thought. They thought, is it a righty lefty thing? Is uh -huh. it one leg's longer than the other? But as they start heading out, they shift ever so slightly off to the side and they end up going in circles. And it shows there they, you've got an aerial view where they just go circle, 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 tighter circles and end up weirdly coming back to the very spot that they left. <laughs> it's like the children of Israel, right? It's like 40 years going in circles. <laughs> Amen. Yes. And they say it's, it's because if you don't have some fixed object up above that you see and can constantly orient to, you walk in circles. So that's an exercise I do with everybody when we go on the track. And, uh, and it's, been, it's been really funny to watch. I took one guy out on the Czech Republic. We found a big open field. And I said, see that gold building in the distance? Close your eyes, go right toward it. He did. He ended up doing one massive circle, came right back. I told him to stop. And he looked and he thought, Hey, I'm, I'm right on target. See, I'm facing exactly toward it. And then he looked around. He said, wait a minute. What's going on here? I said, hey, you just did a circle and you ended up 10 feet from where you started. Oh, that's awesome. And I love that. Just the analogy, because they have a goal. You tell them this is where we're going, but then you take away their vision. Right. And, and that's what's so crucial about that vision. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. That's cool. That's so cool. as we go on, we then go into uh, this idea of play or risk, and they're both the same thing. Anytime we risk, it's, it's a matter of play. Anytime we play, we're taking some sort of a risk. Hmm. And we try to disrupt the stories that have been fed us about who we are, about how you should operate, and we unleash childlike wonder by doing that. Hmm. And when you get to that sort of point, then you tap into the essence of creation, you know, which is, I don't imagine God up there as the designer and engineer, making sure that everything is exactly right. I see him as up there going, wow, look at the possibilities. Well, what are we going to do today? Hmm. And so we try to get to that state. Nice. And so, as far as this uh, concept of risk and play, it's just as far as 
you're engaging the, your playful side and, and that's where you're going to find a deeper meaning or, or maybe expand on that more. Sure. Can I pipe in here, Lane? Yeah, this Absolutely. would be great, David, to, to okay. share your perspective. So here's a, here's a good example of playing what we did. And it kind of goes what I talked about earlier. Was, so we would like start out, we would have, we would have a goal, right? We started off in, it, it, we, we start out in a, in a city and our goal was to get to this next city. Well, even on our very first day, our goal, I don't even know what our, what our goal was. I can't remember the name of that city, Lane. We went to, we ended up going to. Went to Baena. To, to Baena. But I can't remember where our original goal was. But the point is, while he's looking that up, well, the point is we headed out on this journey. And, you know, it's like we would stop by this little town and we weren't afraid to like, you know what, let's just take a break. Let's go in and get some pastries. Let's go and have some lunch. And we would just enjoy the journey along the way. And it wasn't like we were like on a dead set course and we were, it was a race. It was just like a, it was a journey. We were just kind of going. If people would stop all the time, take their cameras, they'd take pictures. We'd take videos of what was going on. We, we passed so many olive trees and so many olive groves, just mountains and mountains and mountains of olive groves. And I mean, this one, this one detour we took that the, uh, our uh, app told us to go on this particular route and it was actually on a gravel road, which, you know, I'm kind of, I'm averse to gravel roads at this point, but we went on this gravel <laughs> road for about a mile and we finally, uh, we, and some of the people were a little bit nervous about it. So we finally had a little, uh, had a come together meeting and we discussed it and we decided, you know what, let's go a different route. So we all kind of went back an- another mile. Well, wait, wait a minute, this- can I intercede for a second? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. We had a, driver come up and we flagged him oh, down yeah. <laughs> and speaking Spanish to him, we said, Hey, what's the road ahead like? And he goes, well, for the next two kilometers, it's like this. After that, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So go ahead. So when we heard that, we're like, okay, we're definitely turning around because everyone was nervous about where we were as it was. And it was funny because when he said it gets worse, he's like, but you'll be okay because you're on bikes. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. But anyway, oh, wow. so we came back off this dirt road and get back on the paved road. And it wasn't but what, maybe a mile or two down the road where we literally came up on a, a herd of sheep. And there was this shepherd that was out there just kind of like walking with the sheep. I mean, it was just kind of like, am I walking? Am I living a scripture story right now? Because it was just super <laughs> cool. This, this shepherd was out there with the sheep. And of course, we were riding through them. And so the sheep kind of scattered a little bit. And at one point, they actually started running down this hill. And it was so amazing, Kurt, because this shepherd, he just whistled. He just did a little, I, don't, I can't whistle, but he just did a little yeah. whistle. And all these sheep just like immediately stopped, turned around and started coming back to the shepherd. It was like the coolest thing that I've ever seen in my life. Wow. So we would have missed that whole experience had we not like kind of got together and said, eh, this, this is not the right way. Let's go this way instead. This is not our, the prescribed path. This way is going to take us a little bit longer, but let's go over here anyways. And we would have missed that opportunity had we not taken that opportunity. Yeah. So. Okay. So what, what I'm hearing and understanding is um, there, there's two things I want to highlight. One is just when you, when you take a risk and when you say risk, like when you step outside of the plan a little bit and say, let's just go explore and, and, and play and, and see what we find and what we can learn. It creates some space there where God can step in and, and show you a shepherd, right? And then you're internalizing a, an additional lesson that you wouldn't have seen if you stayed on that, on the, the plan path. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Cool. I agree. 
And then I also want to highlight here, like, again, taking, I'm always taking this back to a context of, of church leadership and whatnot. Like the way that you two just talked about this experience together, like how often do you hear that sort of tone of voice in an elders quorum or in a, in a, a formal church setting? Because you two have had an experience together. There's a bonding a relationship there. And, and you, re, you reflect back on that as like that. Remember when we did this, that was, that was remarkable because there's a little risk involved, but look what we discovered. I mean, I think that I, that needs to be pointed out. You know, that's interesting. Well, this isn't, this is an elders quorum experience that, that I want to relate to kind of talks to that point. So we're over here in Indiana and uh, I don't know how long ago it was about 15 years ago, hurricane Katrina came in and kind of took out new Orleans. Right. And yeah. so we, our stake had the opportunity to go down and help with that. And so, I mean, this is, this is a crazy story. We all, you know, we're all, of course we're all working. So we, I think we got off work. No, we didn't take any time off work. No, we did. We, we took off work on Friday. So we met at the church at about five in the morning and we took this 18 hour drive down to um, Louisiana, got there late Friday night and we, we pitched our tents in this uh, field by this church down there. And so there's all of these, these um, members of the church that are down there camping and we've all got these shirts, right? And so the Mormon helping hand shirts, those yellow t-shirts. And mm-hmm. so we're all camping down there. And then Saturday morning we get up, they organize us. We all go out, we start chainsawing and everything that we're doing and come back to the church that night. And then on Sunday we get up, we have a, a, a brief sacrament meeting we had one speaker. So I think the whole sacrament lasted maybe 30 minutes and we're all in our, we're all in our jeans and our t-shirts and our hats and then, you know, our gloves and everything, our work boots. We have sacrament meeting, take the sacrament, have a brief message. And then we break up and we go out and we work again until about noon or two in the afternoon. And then we pack up in our cars and we head back home 18 hours and we're back to work on Monday morning. And it was the, it was the most crazy, insane trip, but all the guys that went on that trip for years, we talked about how cool that was. And we talked about, we reflected on that experience and just the, the, the car time and the working together and just that experience. It just really bonded us. So to your point of getting out of the four walls and having a little activity, getting out and doing something, which was not according to our plan. It was kind of a last minute, hey, call to action. And we went and did it. And it was an amazing bonding experience. Yeah, I love that. And I've learned from one of my favorite authors, John Eldridge, in his Wild the Heart book, he talks about the importance of adventure in our lives. Like there's something about adventure that connects our soul with God. And so we have to make room for it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Lane, get us back on track here as far as anything else in the concept of vision and goals that before we move on or should we move on? Or I'm sorry, anything else with risk and, and playfulness? Yes. We already talked about vision. <laughs> yeah, I was just reading this morning, you know, the Isaiah chapters. And it echoes what is rampant in the scriptures about be quiet, fear not, neither be faint hearted. And I'll just add this quickly. There's a guy who's known for uh, what he calls rejection therapy. He got tired of feeling rejected. And so he decided, you know what, for a hundred days, I'm going to go out and I'm going to purposely seek rejection. In other words, I'm going to take risks. And he did some pretty crazy things. I'll just list a few of them. He went up to a police officer and said, hey, can I drive your car? <laughs> he, he, went, he went to the airport, you know, a small airport. They got small airplanes. He went to one guy and said, hey, do you mind if I fly your plane? Or he shows up 
On game day, Dallas Cowboys are playing. He's in Dallas. He knocks on a guy's door Sunday afternoon, and everybody's glued to the TV watching the game. He shows up in soccer gear with a soccer ball and says, hey, do you mind if I play soccer in your backyard? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Now, what's crazy about all the things he did, he said that most of the time people said yes. Hmm. So the fears that we have are, are really unfounded and we allow them to rule over us. So our aim is to get rid of them, to go out there and test them and see how when, when we stop taking counsel from our fears, that all sorts of possibilities lie right before us on the horizon. Yeah, that's awesome. So I have another question just as far as the, the, how, how these trips are put together. Like, do you give time for people to like journal or to consider these things? Or are you just always on the move type thing? Or how, how that, is it broken up that way? That's a great question. Let me show you uh, two things I have. I know they can't hear this, but I, I'll just show you. I've got guidebooks that are created specifically for the trek. Each okay. day has a module that we go over. So th- during the day, we are, we are stopping purposely to journal to photograph, and there are specific photographic activities that we do. And, uh, and there are modules that we do every single day to bring us from vision through risk into simplicity and into ultimately what we want to get to is flow, you know, so that we're, we're out of the way, we're in the flow like a river, and then Really, the ultimate thing is to get to the point of compassion. Um, so yeah. that's that's what it's all that's laid out structure. to do, step by step, getting us there. Gotcha. So that leads us to the next principle you talked about, as far as simplification, which uh, hopefully leads to flow. And and I, this is maybe a new concept. Usually, you know, after three hundred and seventy-five or so leadership episodes, we've we've touched on a lot of principles, but this is one as far as flow that doesn't come up a lot. So take us down this path. Sure. There's a profound book called Zen and the Art of Archery. And uh, I studied it for a month. I'd get up and I'd study the gospel for a half hour, and I'd study this book for a half hour. And there is so much light in it where uh, it's all about learning to get out of the way, that our ego is what gets in the way, and that we think that if we don't do it ourselves, it doesn't happen. And as long as we do that, then we are pushing away forces that are trying to intercede on our behalf. So first of all, it takes simplifying. And that's why when we go out, it's kind of novel, Kurt. We don't have a support vehicle. We don't, mm. have, uh, we don't have a mechanic on hand. We don't have a medic on hand. Whatever happens, we solve in real time <laughs> with the resources at hand. And it's only when you get to that spot that you are able to access some of the miracles that rain down. Because if you, if you always have a backup plan, then you're still self-reliant. Now, self-reliant is good, but we can be too much so, so that we try to control. And, and really, that's the heart of it. We try to control everything when the heavens have some other plans for us. Hmm. And by simplifying, by pairing everything, your whole life down to what fits in a bike, you are simplifying to the max. And being in that simplification of physical items 
equates to simplification in our minds where we get rid of a lot of the garbage that we we drag around with us in our daily lives. Awesome. So, I mean, this is, it's a, it's sort of the essentialism uh, perspective that yes. if we can, the more we can simplify life, the more likely we are to get into flow and the more likely we are to get in flow, that's where we'll, we're going to have some experiences with the divine. Yes. And learn and connect uh, on the spiritual level, right? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, beautifully put. Uh, so, Dave, uh, yeah, please interject. Tell us uh, your perspective on this and and uh, what you learned. So, what I learned on this was pretty cool because you know Lane taught us this at the beginning of the trek, and it was just kind of like, okay, that's you know that's kind of interesting. And so he kind of had us go through some exercises where we kind of stripped away some preconceived notions and and titles and thoughts and accomplishments and things like that. So you're kind of like you're feeling a little bit vulnerable, I guess, and. It's interesting because we, at one point we got to this, we went to this place called, I might be uh, pronouncing this incorrectly, but Parque Ardales. Is that how you say that, Lane? Parque Ardales. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And they have this amazing bridge that goes between these two cliffs and it's just beautiful. And we ended up camping uh, not too far from there. And it was just by this beautiful lake that was just serene and just dead still. And like Lane said, for the most part, we camp every night. So we actually haul our tents and our sleeping bags and our food and everything on our bicycles. And so we actually camp out at this lake. And this particular time, um, we actually got up and this was like about day six. And so for the most part, we have been staying together as a group as we bicycle. But this particular day, Lane's like, all right, I want everybody to take an hour and go off and for lack of a better word, ponder, or just kind of connect with God for about an hour. And so he's like, just when you're biking, just kind of find this, find something that speaks to you, pull off the side of the road and just kind of like park yourself and just enjoy the moment. And so it was interesting as I, as I did that personally, I sat down next to a, a different lake. We were not too far out of the campground at that point. And it was interesting because I saw it was like the sun was coming up. And I was, I sat down and there was this flower that was, I was next to, and I know this is kind of weird, but I sat down to this flower and it was all wilted, you know, and I just kind of noticed it. And then I was writing in my journal about all my experiences and my thoughts. And I was there for about an hour, hour and a half. And by the time I was done, the sun had come up over the horizon and it had hit that flower and that flower had just like opened up its petals. And it was like, it was no longer wilted. It was like facing the sun and it was like a full fledged flower that was, you know, basking in the sunlight. And I just thought that was so cool how it did that. But as I was going through my thoughts and I was kind of overcoming some things that I was struggling with personally, you know, like where was I going? What was I, what was my current plan with my own personal life? Where was I? And I'm just, I'm trying to go through all this. And I had that hour where I just really connected with God. And for me, that was such a spiritual moment for me. And, you know, I was just like, Man, the rest of the team, they're like halfway to our next next destination. I thought I was going to be so far behind them because I had stuck there for an hour and a half. And, you know, as we went on, I came up, you know, we met back and forth because someone else has stopped over here. Someone else has stopped for donuts over there. Someone else has pulled off the side of the road over here. And we all kind of connected at lunchtime and we had kind of all done this at different parts. And it was just amazing how the different stories that people had and being able just to kind of come unto ourselves during this day as we did this. 
Yeah. And again, I mean, you created space to do that, right? That, uh, and, and this is a similar experience I've had on other retreats I've done, like, and we sometimes miss in various activities where we, we sort of, you know, make sure every minute of the day is there's some activity or fun thing, but how often do we just say, okay, this is an open time for you to go reflect, right? And that the power of reflection is, is really half the battle when it comes to, you know, life-changing events or retreats like this. So, um, yeah, yeah totally it's, it's awesome. So yeah, anything else as far as this concept of flow that would be worth mentioning? It is something worth experiencing. Yeah. And, I, so Lane, let me ask you as far as, I mean, how, how do we stimulate this, this concept of flow just in our week to week lives or uh, even in, in a, in a quorum or relief society setting or anything like that? So I would say the number one, number one conduit to get there is handwritten journals, not typing, mm-hmm. Not speaking into a phone, but actually writing and the rhythm and the flow of your hand on the paper creates space in your mind. Because, I mean, let's face it, our mind is racing and we can't write as fast as we think. Well, amazingly, our mind is like, think about on kind of an overcast day, maybe even a stormy day, you see the dark clouds swirling in the sky. And it isn't until they start to part that the shafts of light pierce them and fall down to the earth and illuminate something on the ground. Journaling is the way we part the turbulence of our head and allow the shafts of heaven to finally pierce and illuminate something that we didn't realize we were hiding from ourselves. And if we can get into the habit of every single morning getting up and as we study the gospel, putting the, the work and the busyness of the day aside and can just journal some of the questions and the desires and the insights that happen as we commune with the heavens, man, life takes on a radically different tone. Yeah. No, I love that because sometimes, especially leaders, we can... I know I fall prey to this a lot where I over obsess about efficiency, right? And some may say, think, yeah, that's exactly why I type lane because my brain is thinking too fast for me to write. So it feels so much more comfortable to type it out, right? Because I can go faster. But it's almost like an action and an exercise that, that God has given us because it does slow us down. It makes us be very intentional about what we are writing or thinking about. And it does kind of slow that the rhythm of the mind down so that we can... Uh, see those shafts of light when when God intends us to. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And there's a lot of scriptural backing to it. A lot of both in the Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, Book of Mormon, New Testament, where it says it is given unto as many as called upon God to write by the Spirit. And you know th- when Joseph Smith received the vision, he was told to write the vision while he was yet in the Spirit. And there are a number of scriptures that talk about be still. And my favorite one is be still and know that I am God. Mm, And I don't think that's, you know, we tend to think of it as a command. Hey, listen, buddy, be still and know that I am God. But I think it's more cause and effect. If you are still, you will know that I am God. Yeah, that's powerful. Next principle is endurance. And obviously, I would imagine on a bike, uh, endurance is ever present. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the crazy thing about this, we think about 
when we think about endurance, what is the scripture that immediately pops to mind, Kurt? Endure to the end, is that? <laughs> it is, right? Yeah. And the image that that conveys is this idea of nose to the grindstone, just slog it out to the end. I share a story that forever changed the definition of endurance for me. And it was the very first guy to join me on a trek. We were in Norway and uh, we just had a spectacular day up one of the top 10 roads in the world. It's called the Trolls Road. At the end of the day, we were talking and I said, you know, today was epic. You just could not get a better day, but tomorrow's the last day and tomorrow is tougher. And if you want, we can just quit today, call it good. Our legs are jelly and we can be done. And uh, I'll censor a little bit what he said, but he's, he said <laughs> later, you know, I was just ticked off. He said, I just, we just kept climbing and climbing and I thought it would end and it didn't. And we had rain and we had a traffic jam of sheep and a race with cows and just this endless tormenting road. And I didn't want to end the last day of the trek ticked off like that. So he said, you know what? I'm going to do it, but I've got to do it differently. He said, until now, I've seen every climb as a fight, as something I've got to conquer. I've got to vanquish, and I can't do that. He said, somehow I've got to partner with the mountain, with the rain, with the wind. Somehow I've got to figure out a way to draw strength from them instead of pushing them away. And he said, so if we do this, we got to go slow. We got to go my pace. We're going to stop a lot and let's do it. We had 5,000 feet to go in 13 and a half miles. I mean, that's a, that's a climb. That's a climb. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't you, Dave? <laughs> oh yeah. And when we reached the top, he had let go of all the stories about who he was supposed to be. And I have never in my lifetime seen somebody more empty, not empty in the sense of a void, empty in the sense that you look into his eyes, they were the clearest I have ever seen anyone's eyes ever. And he just, he fell on my arms and he just wept. Later, when he spoke to his company about that experience and the whole track, he used that word endurance and it shifted meaning because instead of enduring as in slogging it out, he made it mean for me and for all the people I teach from now on to harmonize, to learn to fluidly blend with whatever challenge you're facing. And instead of making it your enemy, making it your ally. And so that now one of our, our mantras is that your climb is your greatest ally and learn to draw strength from it. And so that's, that's what endurance has forever changed to mean for me. Wow. So it's not just the, the trial in your life, but it's actually, it's also the thing that's offering you strength to overcome it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So can I get my perspective? Because when yeah, Lane to told us this, he's like, so at this point, you know, we're well into the trek. We had just spent, we had just kind of taken a, a rest day at this uh, beautiful city called Rhonda, which was just amazing. And uh, Elaine had told us, had challenged us to say, hey, what is your frustrations on this trek? And I want you to write, write about your frustrations. 
And I was looking at it, I'm thinking, you know, I had just had some really good days and I really didn't have any frustrations. I mean, life was pretty good and I was kind of enjoying the track and I couldn't think of anything. And so I, he's like, we got to come up with something. So I, I kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it. And like throughout the day, I was like, well, I guess there's only one thing that kind of makes me think twice. And that is whenever we talk about the elevation or how far we're going to climb that day, I kind of bristle a little bit. I kind of like go, oh, is there any way we can like reduce that or maybe go around it or make it easier or maybe grab an Uber or something like that where we're like, <laughs> let's just like not worry about the elevation for once, right? And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick elevation as my, um, my enemy, if you will. And so I kind of did that. And then Lane has us walk through these different scenarios of how to change what it was that was frustrating us and flip it around. And it was the most amazing thing because he had us look at it and say, let's flip it around, turn it around and say, how can we make this your ally? And so one of the things that I looked at, we have a, had a guy in our group who every morning he would just get up, he would get himself ready, put his tent down, be on his bike, and he would just go. And he was kind of a machine. I mean, he was just going up those hills and he was always just happy and just loving life. And I'm like, I want to be more like that guy, you know, and I'm, so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do that. And so at the end of the day, as, as I realized I need to turn this around, what ended up happening was I realized that why was I resisting the hills so much? Was it because I was lazy? Was it because it was hard work? Was it because I was tired? I was fatigued. I was hungry. Whatever the excuse was, I realized I need to put that all behind me. And once I did that, and he made the comment, this, this guy had made the comment that it's just one pedal in front of the other. And once I realized that, I completely changed it around and I realized, you know what? I chose to come on this trek. I'm the one that chose to come here. And here I am complaining about the work that it's required to actually get to the finish line. Why in the world would I choose something and then turn right around and complain about the very thing that I chose? And so when I, I spoke about this, actually, in state conference. And I talked about how this relates to life. And it's kind of like, we came on this earth because we chose it. We chose to come down here. And it's like, yeah, life is hard. But we chose to come down here. And we were shouting for joy because we came, we made that choice. And this trek was the same thing for me. I chose to come on this trek. So I'm going to throw off all this negative and all this resistance that I keep drumming up in my head. And I'll tell you what, the last couple of days were completely different for me because I just, we had a huge hill in front of us. I'm like, ah, I don't care. And one pedal in front of the other. And I just kept on pedaling, <laughs> went right up the hill. And my, my whole attitude completely changed and I completely enjoyed it. It was the most amazing thing for me that I had just been in the way of myself and I didn't even realize it. And because he forced us to think of something that frustrated us, it forced me to pull that out. And from then on out, I enjoyed the rest of the trek and the, the work didn't bother me. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And, and again, going back to the, the power of this model of teaching and leading that Lane could have invited you to some uh, 1970s, you know, hotel conference room for a leadership uh, retreat or summit and uh, taught you all these principles. But it, you sort of have to be on the mountain. You have to be in the climb for really to take root in your heart. Absolutely. Yeah, completely. That's cool. Lane, should we move on to, to the second to last one, fusion? Yeah, fusion is fantastic. Um, you know, we tend to shy away from uh, 
from confrontation because we think of it as bad and blessed are the peacemakers. So, you know, try to make peace. But yet the beautiful thing about each one of our experiences is that it shapes what we see and how we see it. And so we call it a fusion of horizons. And a horizon is everything you see within a field of vision. So right now, like I'm looking at what's in the background and I can see the books and the CDs and the the equipment that you have behind you. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I can't see what's behind me, but you can. You can see what's up on my wall and the pictures of my family and, and other things going on there. Well, unless we fuse those viewpoints, we're only getting just a slice of the picture. So one of our uh, mantras there is, every horizon bears a thread of gold. And as leaders, that is oh so valuable because if we ever think that it's my way and that I'm the one with the greatest knowledge because I have the most experience or I have the tightest connection with heaven, boy, we are missing out because there is everybody, even kids, little kids, we don't know. You and I have no clue what it's like to be a kid in 2020, but they do. And they have a perspective that will inform ours if we're willing to listen. So when we attack that module or when we probe that module, it's all about learning to do a couple of things, stand firmly with our vision and not apologizing for what we see, but at the same time, realizing that it's only partial and we need to rope everybody else in to be able to gather their thoughts and their, their visions, their perspectives. And then second, it's being willing to not be quiet. And I think a lot of times in the essence of, of wanting to be a peacemaker, we're silent. And they say in speech and debate, silence is compliance. One of the things that I bring in here, and it is just masterful, President Eyring gave a press conference soon after he was made one of the first presidency. And he said he was at some meeting at BYUI, and, or BYU-BYUI. It, it was a church education meeting. And he thought, you know, I have spent my career in training people how to run meetings. And now I got to see how the prophets of God do it. So I wonder how it is. And he said, you know, I just thought revelation would just kind of distill upon them all. And he said he got in there and here are bright professional people with very strong opinions voicing them. And he says, you know, you don't see this in business. It's all about, you know, you, I want to kowtow to the boss. And he says, I was just dumbfounded at the kind of heated debate and strong opinions that voiced themselves out. And, and then he said, it was as I watched that, that I watched the miracle of them all converging. And I thought, I've seen a miracle. And he said, it was at that point that he said, I think it was the president at the time said, you know, I think we're going to table it. I think that there are some voices that didn't have a chance to get expressed. So, uh, wow. You know, it's beautiful. You can go look it up and find out yeah. Elder Eyring press conference about meetings. Uh -huh. And it's, it's just beautiful. 
And using that as our hinge point, we go into the idea that you may have to heat up in order to meld things together, but then they're fused and they're strong. And so don't shy away from your opinions and your thoughts. We need them. Yeah. David, what any uh, thoughts or experiences come to mind from, from this principle? Well, I was just reminded of the, uh, the, well, the announcement today that the church, the new handbook just came out and, um, you know, they were talking about why it came out and it was, they were saying how come it's available for everybody, not just leaders. And they're kind of saying, you know, it needs to be available to everybody so that the, all the members can see the men, the women, the children, because they all have a voice. And they were talking about, um, you know, the priesthood. And there's one of the sections that were updated that were talking about the priesthood and how, you know, everybody who receives a calling is set apart under the keys of the priesthood. And so they all have that priesthood authority to do whatever they were called to do. And that applies to everybody, not just to the men. And that was one of the changes they, that they kind of highlighted as coming out in the new handbook. So it kind of goes back to what Lane was talking about is the different perspectives. And, you know, we have the, the, the ward councils, we have the ward youth councils now where we have the youth talking about the same things that the adults are talking about and to get their perspective and I just think it's just such a beautiful thing to, to just get everybody's perspective, because I agree. If you think that you have the um, the corner of the market on revelation and how things are to be done as a leader, you are sorely mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love this concept in the in the term of fusion that I think we all want some fusion or unity or consistency in our leadership, in our organizations that we lead. But it's so important to realize we can't get there unless we all step forward with our voice, with our unique perspective, and hopefully it does get heated a little bit. And there is some, you know, conflict in, in perspective so that we can get to a, a unified place that we understand each other. And one, because once that fusion happens, like you said, Lane, it's stronger. You know, we're more likely to, to back it up and move forward with it rather than feel like, oh, this is just, you know, the bishop's idea or stake president's idea, right? Yeah. So yep. just last Sunday, we had our priesthood leadership meeting and uh, one of the counselors taught, we, we actually sang ye elders of Israel. And in there, one of the verses says, if ye are united, ye all things can do. And that was kind of his message is if we are united as quorums, we all things can do. If we are united as a ward, if we are united as a branch, if we're united as a release society or a young women's class, we all things can do. And that was just such a powerful concept. So, yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Lane, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, but it it doesn't happen in the beginning. It takes the hard bit of voicing our perspective and listening to other people before we finally find the threads that are the best, the threads of gold. Otherwise, you know, we're just blowing hot air at each other. Gotcha. And so that goes back to that mantra that every horizon has a thread of gold. Is that, is that, mm-hmm. did I get it right? Mm-hmm. And so what you're saying is that every, everybody's perspective, there's value in everybody's perspective. And as we bring those threads of gold together, we can create something, all, all things we can do, right? Yes. That's where the unity is. The unity mm-hmm. doesn't happen just by people bowing down and saying, yeah, you're right, man, Kurt, you're the one in authority. I, whatever you say goes, brother. It's, yeah. I mean, it may because you're, you're a sharp guy, but <laughs> man, there, there are all those voices that remain silent that we need, whether it's a Sunday school class, whether it's a ward council, every one of them has something valuable that if we listen to, we can 
we can pick up on and run with. Yeah. So let's move on to the, the last of your seven principles you hit on is, is compassion. I like where this is ending. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, this, you know, I'll tell you, Kurt, I was in Ireland trying to figure out the mantra, the saying that would fit that. And it came in a, a beautiful moment after a lot of seeking and some prayer and pondering. And that is uh, every heart will heal when we learn to listen right. So we tend to think of compassion as almost inequality, that there's somebody in a position of comfort or in a position of means and resources that reaches down to help somebody who's in a position of dearth or of want. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've thought a lot about, you know, the person who is assumed in the lower position, they don't want help up. They don't want to feel like they're a project. They don't want to feel like I'm down and out and I need you. What people want to feel is included and people go where they feel included. So if you've got somebody who's uh, gay, you know, homosexual, if they don't feel included, they're going to leave. If you've got somebody who's single, there's a guy in our ward who often feels like he really doesn't belong because he's in this big family ward and he's, you know, late thirties and he's single. Well, if he doesn't feel included, he's not going to stay around. So the compassion that we talk about is reach out and include people in a way that you, you genuinely listen to and validate who they are as a person. Uh, I love that. Dave, what, what do you remember uh, from, what, what did you learn from this step on, on your trek? Oh, wow. This is like a, uh, this is a tender one for me. When we went to, I mentioned this, this uh, little city we went to called Rhonda. We, um, Lane had some prior contacts there that had helped him out in the past. And so he reached out and said, we just got to go stop by and just, and just say hi to this guy. Cause he's just such a good friend of mine. But when he reached out to, to say that we were planning on camping, he said, you're going to do what? You're not going to camp. You're going to come over to our house and we're going to put you up and we're going to take care of you. We're going to feed you a meal. And they literally did. We showed up at their front door, complete strangers. Here we are. We had just biked. I don't know how many miles that day, 45 miles or something up like 3,500 feet. It was kind of a rough day because we had climbed up a mountain and um, we'd come down into this town and we showed up at their door and they came out and they came out and they hugged us. You know, and as, as they do in Spain, sometimes if you're really good friends, they, you know, they do that, that cheek to cheek kiss thing. And they did that. And they were just like, man, you guys must be tired. Come on in. We're cooking a meal for you. You know, they didn't have enough room in their house for all of us. So they just they allowed us to put our tents up on their in their backyard. And so we put our tents in their backyard and we they had just thrown out this huge meal for us. And we just sat there. and We just talked. We talked there for hours and just talked about. Why did they accept a bunch of strangers into their home? And the first thing he said was, look, you guys are welcome into my home. Whatever's in the cupboards, you're welcome to open up the cupboards and the drawers and whatever is there is, is yours. And I was just like, why would you say that? I mean, you don't even know us, you know, but he was just so warm and so welcoming. And he talked about this very concept that Lane was talking about, because I was thinking, you know, he was reaching out and helping out a bunch of destitute, smelly worn out bicyclists. And he was just like, I love doing this because I learned so much from these travelers that stop into my house. 
I just love to just talk to them because they always lift me up and I always learn something from them. And I'm like, you know what? What a cool perspective that when we when we reach out and help somebody who's in need, maybe not looking at it to lift them up like Lane was talking about, but more, what can I learn from you? How can we learn to, you know, from each other and help each other and lift each other up and both of us get closer to God throughout the process? And as we as we sat there and we talked to them throughout the night, what their son, this was Danny and Emmy and and their son, Eker, he went in the other room. He started playing the piano and we all just kind of went into the living room and just listened to him just play the piano. And I never felt so at home. And we were we were out probably a week and a half by this time. And I felt like I was completely at home. It was the, the coolest experience. And, you know, they took us rock climbing and a bunch of things. But just the fact that they welcomed us into their home, that was like the epitome of compassion for me. And when we all left the trek, our group, that was the highlight of our trek. When we all sat around and talked about what we remembered the most, we remembered our time with the Galvez family because of the way they treated us. So it was just really cool. That's cool. Anything else, Lane, as far as this concept of compassion that uh, we need to add? I think the only thing I would add is just a little bit about that family. I met them eight years ago when I did a solo trek through Southern Europe. Two months solo on a budget, and I'd reached out to them in a moment of need, and they they just they took me in, and I learned that they have strangers in their home just about every week. Somebody reaches out to them and says, hey, I'm headed to this magnificent town with this massive Roman bridge. It's a, you know, it's a tourist icon, and they, they come in, and, and they're from all over the world, and they reach out and say, hey, yeah, can we stay with you? And he said, you know, I wanted my kids to grow up thinking it was normal to have strangers in our home. Hmm. And that, man, that just stuck with me. And we've, we've tried to emulate that, paled in comparison to the family in Spain. But what a, what a welcoming thing, right? When somebody says, hey, you're home. You come in here, you're home. Don't worry about it. Kick off your shoes. Maybe don't run around naked, but, uh, but you know, you're home, <laughs> go help yeah. yourself to whatever's in the fridge, whatever's in the pantry. He's definitely a model for how to live in my mind. That's great. That's great. So as we wrap up here, Dave, I'm just curious, like after you return home, were you, were you the stake president during this, during this uh, trek? Yeah, I was. Uh huh. Okay. So how did it impact your personal leadership as the state president once you return home. You talk about, I mean, you mentioned it maybe several times in state conferences and whatnot, but how did it change you as far as leadership? I think that made me, I don't know, it completely changed me in the sense that I guess I felt more humble. I appreciated life more because, you know, when you go through a country that you don't know anything about, I was talking to this about, about this with some of our teammates and we were like, you know, if we were like tourists and going to Spain, right? We'd hit the the hot spots. We'd go to this town or we'd go to this town. We'd fly in and we'd go check out the the cool museum or the the cool castle or whatever. And we might even take a tour bus to go to the next one or whatever. But to go through Spain pretty much in slow motion on a bicycle and to just let the countryside just go by you, you just learn to really appreciate this earth that God created for us. And it was just such a neat experience. And so to come back, I guess I just had a more reverence for God and more reverence for the people. And I just felt more, 
alive. I don't even know how to even describe it. So I, I, I'm not saying that I really changed anything other than I feel like that myself was changed, if that makes yeah. any sense. Well, it just sounds like you, you were, there's like this higher level of attunement into, you know, you're much more intentional and purposeful about things that you, you did before, but you had a perspective on them because of this trek. Yeah. And there was, there was a, you know, so, so my final comment here is there was a statement or a comment that we would use often on the trek. And it came from um, one of the, uh, one of the other teammates. And the saying was, we're only going to pass this way once. And so it was kind of like, why rush the trek when you could take photos, you could experience the people, you could experience everything as you go by, because we will never, ever have that experience again. I could go back to that same town, but I won't be on a bicycle. Or maybe I will be on a bicycle, but I won't be with the same people. It won't be the same weather. It won't be the same day. It won't be the same feelings. So I will never have that opportunity again to pass that way again. And I guess as I relate that to life, it's the same thing. I will never have this today. I will never have this day back. So this day is a singular day in eternity that I can learn and grow and become who God wants me to become. Awesome. Lane, uh, where would people, I have another question that maybe to end, end with, but uh, if people are sort of intrigued by this experience and want to learn more about what you do and, and when you do it and where you do it, uh, where would you send people to learn more? Sure. Good question. I would go to wayofthehero.com. It's my website that shows what we've got coming up. We're doing, you know, Bhutan, the church history trek, Baltics, South America. So they're, they can look there. There's a youth page. There's also an adult slash leader page. And if they're interested, we'd love to engage a conversation. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we may need to do a, uh, a leading saints uh, trek here. And, and <laughs> heaven Man, forbid I get on a it. bike, you know. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> That'd, That'd be, be awesome. Fun, for sure. So is there a certain limit as far as, far as how many people you have on a, on a trek? Yeah. I, right now I cap it at 10. And okay. uh, there's something about the intimacy of that group that right. allows, allows the aims to unfold the way it should. Yeah. Well, and again, like the, our intention of this episode isn't necessarily to, to promote this, though it's a great thing to promote, but even just inspiring a leader to maybe go do something similar, whether it's on a bike or a hike or whatever it is, what general guidance would you give them, Lane, if, if a youth leader or a elder scorn president or at least side president wants to do something similar that's going to create a bonding experience, any general uh, advice you'd have for them? Absolutely. The acronym is GUIDE. It needs to be generative. It needs to be unpredictable. It needs to be immersive, needs to be daring, and it needs to be enticing. And if you miss out on any one of those, then you're missing out on the full experience. But if you get all of those, man, you're, what we do then is we create the conditions for an amazing experience. Yeah. But, uh, but that's what we boiled it down to. Oh, that's perfect. Very succinct. And and really, you know, these principles we've talked about are powerful, but it doesn't mean like you have to, like only these seven principles will work. Really, you could figure out what principles you want to focus on and, and begin follow that model and, and they're going to have an enriching experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Cool. All right. Well, um, let's, uh, let me, let's round off this interview with a final question. And maybe I'll start with you, Lane, then finish with Dave. But uh, Lane, as you as you're around the world on this bike trekking and and in this in the midst of adventure, how has that made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? 
That's a great question. I love that you asked it. Personal revelation didn't become real until this. So I didn't know the process. I didn't think that I was entitled to it. And so in that way, it has. It's helped me become more vulnerable and open to the guidance of heaven in ways that I didn't initially understand that he would speak. And it's helped me appreciate humanity on a much grander level to where I, I like, honestly, I think, I don't think, I know that I had a lot of negative preconceptions about other people, other religions, other cultures, other ways of life. And now I, I believe that this is how the world's going to heal by the intimate one-to-one contact when you go through and, and you experience life in somebody else's shoes by feeling the heartbeat of a country and the, the people who reside in that country. So it's helped me, ironically, be a better missionary by not being a missionary, by simply being. Love it. Perfect. Dave, what about you? As you reflect back on this experience, how, is, how did this uh, trek help you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Well, it's kind of, you know, I, I mentioned, I've touched on parts of this throughout, but um, I think just it helped me realize that, well, when I first came out, I really wanted to just do more. I want to do more with myself. I just felt like that I was like restricting myself. Sometimes I feel like that we have this glass ceiling or we have this wall that we hit and we just don't think that we can go past it. And I think that um, what this did for me was it just kind of opened up my world and realized that I didn't need to live out of obligation. I didn't need to live by a list of rules or a list of to-do items, but I could actually just go out and live. And it was my choice. This was my life and I could do and make of it what I wanted to. And if I align that with Jesus Christ, then it's going to just be awesome. And I'll tell you what, my experience, my life experiences since my trek versus before have just been universe away because I guess I just had my eyes open and I've just gone in with, you know, with flow and with just a desire to become and have the vision and not be restricted by four walls, if you will. That concludes my interview with Ling Knighting and Dave Fielding. Definitely go check out his his website. We'll put the links in uh, the show notes with this episode. And uh, I, I definitely, I'm intrigued by this, right? I'd love to find a time to uh, venture off and be open to this type of trek, which would be a little bit out of my comfort zone, to be honest with you. But hey, it would be fun to get on a bike and <laughs> reconnect with a child within me that used to bike a lot and try it out and see what, what I could learn about myself and about how to improve my, my leadership ability. I'd love to hear other ideas out there that maybe wards or organizations are doing to uh, get out of the, the classroom or do something more unique like a trek or, you know, not your, your a traditional pioneer trek, but to uh, get out and about to really connect with the, the wilderness, connect with uh, nature, connect with our hearts and uh, what's working for you as you do those scenarios. You know, we do, we focus so much on these youth conferences and campouts when we're youth, but then we sort of, after we come back from missions and get married and, and such, we sort of lose that part. And of course, nobody necessarily wants to do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> what am I saying here? Of course they want to do it, but sometimes it doesn't seem like an all-inclusive activity because we think, oh, no, not everybody wants to go go camping or go on 
this bike track or do this or that. And so let's just go have a potluck at the chapel, right? That's a safe, easy activity and we can just chat and get to know each other. But there's a deeper connection that can happen when we do these types of things and also to formulate it around certain leadership principles that you're wrestling with, that you're pondering over as you go through that experience. It, it can be such a powerful experience. So something to consider. And please let me know if anybody else has ideas or things that you've tried that have really been phenomenal and, and made a difference in the connection and community aspect of these organizations. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 to gain access to remarkable interviews in the Questioning Saints Library so that you are better prepared to minister to those who've begun to question their faith. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only, and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.